0: The reading of the word from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. I invite your hearing uh, both in reverence and in faith um, from Paul's letter to the Romans. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, I'm not much of a of uh, a weather man, but seemingly to me, winter time is a time in which nature uh, appears to appears to die. Um, trees uh, drop their drop their leaves. Flowers uh, don't bloom. There's not any fruit that's uh, bearing that I'm aware of. I'm sure there is somewhere, but certainly. Uh, not in my understanding of geography. Uh, Farmers do not plant or harvest uh, winter time. Then spring comes. And it seems like there's a resurrection life. Flowers bloom, trees have leaves. Um, Farmers go out to plant, uh, prepare for a harvest, on and on. So there's life in renewal. Uh, and there's also fruitfulness in uh, springtime, expectation of a great harvest. Well, in the scriptures, the law brings death. It's, it's kind of like deep, dark winter. Uh, but the resurrection brings spiritual renewal. Uh, and uh, Paul this morning is going to remind us that the bondage of the law was broken by the death of Christ, so that we now serve God in the newness of the Spirit. And that it is uh, Christ and what he did upon the cross and breaking the bondage of uh, the law that brings renewal and fruitfulness. Uh, in verses 1 to 3, Paul uh, tells us that the end of the jurisdiction of the law is established in an illustration from married life with the application that we are joined, we're joined to Christ. Uh, there's a general principle in the first verse uh, that the law has a jurisdiction over a person only so long as he lives. Uh, if you will, the law rules over a man. Paul is, of course, reminding us that there is still uh, a sin that we must deal with that is present within us, but here is dealing with the law. Uh, but as I've suggested, the bondage of sin is broken uh, by Christ, and the jurisdiction of the law is also broken by the death of Christ. It's no longer our judge. Uh, it's as if we uh, we are traveling. And uh, we pass out of the jurisdiction of the law. So it cannot come and get us. Something like perhaps civil or criminal law. Um, Legal agents from that jurisdiction uh, have a right to claim you, and perhaps they can go to wherever you may be and bring you back. Uh, thank God, Paul is saying the law will never do that, can never do that because of what? The death of Christ. It's ended the jurisdiction of the law. And that we are members of a new order and cannot be taken back to the old. Always uh, smile internally when someone tells me that they're going to a uh, messianic church and Practicing elements of uh, the Old Covenant like having a Passover meal and all those types of things. Why go back? We have Christ. Uh, The fulfillment of the Old Testament. The fulfillment of the law. And on and on. Uh, And so from this general principle of passing through the jurisdiction of the law and the fact that its agents can no longer come after us, Paul gives us an illustration uh, from Uh, from married life. Then he will apply uh, the illustration. Uh, The illustration is meant to depict for us uh, the end of the jurisdiction of the law. So he says a wife is bound to her husband, and of course, vice versa, the husband is bound to his wife. Uh, There is a marriage bond. that is, uh, I might remind you, uh, perpetual in the eyes of God. Uh, Use an illustration from one of my favorite theologians, Benjamin Warfield. Uh, Warfield uh, gets married and goes to Europe for an extended honeymoon and uh, time of uh, travel, uh, enjoyment of the continent of Europe. He and his wife are caught in a violent storm. She has some type of nervous breakdown. It's unclear to me as to what the nature of what happened to her was. But essentially, she became an invalid the rest of her life because of uh, that storm. Uh, for that reason, Warfield uh, would never travel outside of Princeton. I'm sure he received countless speaking engagements. He would never go to stay uh, close to his wife. Uh, Now, why is that? Well, of course, because of love. Uh, Of course, because of scripture, like the one here in our Texas morning, the sanctity of the marriage bond. Uh, But also because uh, at his uh, wedding, I'm sure he took an oath And in that oath, he attached God's name to it. And so, he was bound. I'm sure he was bound in joy and love and affection, but uh, the point is he was bound uh, in his wedding vows. Paul is telling us in this text that there is uh, one event from this text that severs uh that bond and of course that event is death. First uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 39 Paul writes a wife is bound as long as her husband lives and and we should reverse that and say uh, a husband is bound as long as his life lives. uh the marriage vow is a lifelong commitment. um And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.39, she is free to be married to whom she wishes if her husband dies. So death is one of those events which breaks in the eyes of God the bond of marriage. So the wife or the husband can be married. Uh, And then, by the way, Paul says something very, very important. Only in the Lord. If you're a Christian, you can only marry another Christian. It's really the only condition. You can marry all types of, uh, obviously, uh, not in an alternative sense, but you can marry people from different ethnicities and tribes and tongues and peoples and nations, but only in the Lord. Certainly for the young adults that are here, I'm sure you will have attractions throughout your life, but only in the Lord, only, only to another Christian. Uh, the text in Romans 7 also reminds us that if that vow is broken while either spouse uh, continues to live, uh, there is uh, the sin of adultery. Uh, That, by the way, is another uh, condition uh, that if one wishes to prosecute that uh, condition, uh, legitimately severs the marriage bond, uh, namely unfaithfulness. Death, unfaithfulness, uh, there's there's one more, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, and that is uh, the desertion of a marriage by an unbelieving spouse. Uh, I'm I'm not here to uh, go into any uh, depth uh, on any of those conditions, but only to remind you of the sanctity of uh, marriage until there's a death. In our case, as believers, there is a death, uh, the death of Christ, severing uh, our bondage to the law and passing through its jurisdiction it can no longer send out its agents to reclaim us because we live in a new order, have new life in Christ. So that Christ's death ends the rule of the law as he met the demands for us. And therefore, death ends and there can be no extradition. Thank God. Thank God for that. Because of Christ, no extradition. We now live under the jurisdiction of grace. Grace. Again, thank God. Uh, And the Spirit will guide us in our new life. Repair momentarily to Romans 6.14. For sin shall not be master over you. It's no longer your Lord. Prior to coming to Christ, it was your master. Sin owned you. Sin shall not be master over you, for uh, you are not under law, but under grace. We've again, pass through that jurisdiction. And as Christians, we now live under the jurisdiction of the grace of God. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 4. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Why is that? Because Christ met all of the requirements of the law for us. And now uh, the Spirit leads us in the new world order that uh, that is uh, governed by grace. You know, by the way, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Uh, sin owns you. There's only one way you can pass through that terrible, dark, ugly, uh, painful land, and that is the grace of God, a fleeing to Christ for mercy, and coming to Christ. The Spirit is your new guide, and you live under the grace of God. Compelling reason to come to the Savior. And if you've come to the Savior, compelling reasons to praise Him, honor Him, and to worship Him. Uh, in verses 4 to 6, the application of the illustration of marriage is that we die to the law and are joined to Christ with the purpose that we might bear fruit and serve in the newness of the Spirit. So coming through the land of the law, into the land governed by the Spirit, we serve in the newness of the Spirit and bear fruit. Like passing through winter into spring and springtime into harvest. Something happens in our lives. We now bear fruit for God. Uh, Had this... uh, Someone delivered... um, Contractor delivered to our home this big flower. I mean, it was, I mean, big to me, perhaps not to some of you. It was like this tall. And it was, it was just like a green stick out of the ground. Oh, great. Another one of these. Then Barbara the other day said, Man, you need to go look at that. The flowering on it just exploded. That's what happens in our lives. The death of Christ severs jurisdiction of the law leads us into grace, and we become fruitful. We become like a flower. Uh, springtime begins to uh, have a blossom, and then the blossom explodes. Fruitfulness of our lives. Uh, because we're joined to Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Therefore, reading verse 4, My brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, and that we might bear fruit for God. So, From springtime to harvest. The event in our lives because of the death of Christ. Figurative of the severing of the bondage, uh, the Greek tense uh, stresses the uh, end result, and of course the agent is Christ. Uh, The result is that we are joined to him who was raised from the dead. We now have new life in him. His life engages spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal. Spring. And then then harvest. And so Christ brings um, renewal and fruitfulness in our lives. Prior to that, we were you know, we, we were just simply spiritually dead. We bore, we bore no fruit for God. All of the fake religions that say, well, we're just a different religion, but the same God, that's, that's uh, uh, simply a deception. Uh, they bear no fruit for God. Why? Because they have no Christ and they have no spirit. Uh, these persons of the Trinity work renewal. And their renewal brings uh, fruit for the glory of God. Uh, But notice as well the purpose clause in the text. Uh, I want to bring your attention to this. Uh, Verse 5. Bear fruit. Bear fruitfulness. Put it another way. Uh, Previously when we were under the law, we bore fruit to death. That's why false religions are simply an empty claim. Uh, but now we've been released from the law, having died by which we were bound so that we serve in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. But what I'm trying to make from the purpose clause from the Apostle Paul is uh, we, we bear fruit uh, for the glory of of Christ verse four. A parallel is to the farmer. God plants an eternal seed within us. Why? Why does he plant that seed? Well of course to bring us to life, uh, but also for a harvest. God expects a harvest. Let's turn uh, one book over, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is a representative of God. In that sense, he's a planter. Behind Paul is God who's doing the planting, but Paul is his agent. So Paul says, I planted. Apollos watered. But God was causing the growth. Now skip down, uh, if you would, to verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers... You are God's field. That's what we are. God plants. We're a field. A farmer goes out to plant. Why does he do that? Because he wants a harvest. God plants in our lives. Why does he do that? He wants a harvest. He wants fruitfulness for his glory. Uh, This text is an echo, I believe, of, uh, of the mandate given to Adam. And Eve. Uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In many respects that applies to all of us who are Christians. The spiritual sense. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the harvest. The fruitfulness that God uh, wants to see. Uh, you and I know that Adam failed. Uh, So, um, God starts over. He commissions Israel. Israel fails. Let's look at that failure, if you will. Turn with me in 5th chapter of uh, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5. This is the song of the vineyard. Vineyard is a plant. What do vineyards produce? They produce fruit. So Isaiah 5, verse 2. Uh, My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it all around, removed its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced worthless grapes. Skip down to verse 5. So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It will be consumed. I will break down its wall it will become trampled ground and I will lay it waste it will not be pruned or hoed but briars and thorns will come up I will also charge the clouds to rain on it no more so a metaphor of Israel God planted a vine he expected it to produce grapes it doesn't he destroys the vineyard So Adam fails, Israel fails. So God sends another agent, his son, Christ, to reverse and fulfill. Christ does not fail. And everyone who is in Christ will not fail either. And his resurrection power enables us not to fail. By ourselves, we will fail. But because of his resurrection power, uh, not fail. Again, I, I didn't use words like perfection over time and in degree, but the point is the presence of divine power from the resurrection of Christ our Redeemer. The general characteristic of our lives is we're going to be fruitful for the glory of God. Different in all of us, in kind, uh, in degree, but that's not Paul's point. Just fruitful, bearing fruit for the glory of God. Um, I'm sure you are familiar with the parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who ba- who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit. And brings forth some a hundred fold, some sixty and thirty. I mean, there are those people in life that are just, you know, massive harvests. I'm probably in the thirty range. If Paul went lower, I'd be in the lower range. But just the way the great working of the Spirit of God and the resurrection power of Christ surging within us to be a fruitful vineyard. Um, Luke chapter 8, verse 15. Uh, Just another commentary on the parable. And the seed in the good soil, remember, we're God's field, so we're good soil. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. With perseverance. Christians that have the presence of the resurrection power of the Son of God, persevere in the faith. Uh, Let's look at an illustration of this. uh, Colossians chapter 1. Paul, of course, uh, goes to that city, preaches the word. Uh, Look at verse 6. which has come to you, and the reference is in verse 5, the gospel, the word of truth. So the word of truth, the gospel, has come to that city, and Paul is the agent in bearing the gospel. So it comes to you, just as in all the world also, and is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Even it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. By the way, that is a reduplication of the mandate given to Adam now being fulfilled in the church because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The church, Colossia, is constantly bearing fruit and increasing because the renewal affected by Christ uh, restores. And the result is a harvest of fruitfulness for the glory of God. Verse 10, so that you may walk in the manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's an element of our lives as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. The surging power of the resurrection enables us now to bear fruit. So we've been made alive. We're a new vineyard. What does God expect? We bear fruit because that's what the gospel does comes into our lives. Um, let me make a painful application. It's very important. I've used words like uh, fruitfulness, harvest. read from the scripture the word perseverance. While Paul does not engage the negative, we we really must very quickly. Christians persevere in the faith. Now, I understand that sometimes we take sideline roads. We shouldn't, but we do. We're still fallen creatures. Uh, we do stupid things. Uh, you know, would that it were not so. But over time and in degree, the gospel is going to bear fruit in our lives. We're going to persevere in the faith, and so occasionally I run across Christians. In fact, this happened to me. I was just—I was so shocked. I think, I think Barbara had to remind me to pick my jaw off the floor. Fellowshipping with some friends, and I've known this couple for a long time. that grew up in in church, and um, not super close uh, with them, but. Occasionally we have dinner together and the wife said, you know, I've just, uh, I've just become generic. You believe God however you believe Him and however you frame Him and that's all that's important. Um, that's inconsistent with the mandate of the Scriptures. We persevere in the faith. We persevere in the Gospel. Uh, I, I happen to know that she's gone through many difficulties in life, uh, terrible health events with her children, Uh, Because of those events, having to care for granddaughters and grandsons, and on and on, life works, sometimes very difficult. But regardless of the difficulties, the Christian, the believer, perseveres in the faith. Because God has planted the gospel in our hearts. And the gospel bears fruit. And the Spirit makes it so.
0: So,
1: So there's no such thing as a Christian that goes generic with respect to religion. There's no such thing as a bare profession of faith. I talk to people all the time. Well, I'm a Christian. uh, Don't don't preach to me about our socks. I I had a contractor over at the house the other day who was delivering some some wood. He's Jewish and... Okay, Lord, you, you got to open the door. I don't know how this is going to work out. But we got to talking about Israel because um, I, I have a plan to go to Israel. and He got all excited and he said, well, why do you want to go to Israel? Well, that was my door that opened. I said, well, I'm a Christian. I want to go, go there. Reminded him very quickly, sometimes I get in and out quick and I get out quick because I don't know what's going to happen. Shared with him the hope of the gospel, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 11, in the Old Testament, and his words were, well, that works for you. He patted me on the shoulder. I'm, I'm glad it makes you feel good. Well, I lost that battle, but it's not mine to lose. I shared the gospel. But uh, Christian can't go down that lane. Can't say, uh, Freddie, whatever works for you. i got my own view. Um, I worship God in my own way. Different than yours. Now remember, God has implanted in our hearts an eternal seed in the gospel. And he's going to work a harvest by the Spirit. A. A. Hodge, um, well-known Princeton theologian, put it this way, the question is not the certainty of salvation because we have once believed but the certainty of perseverance if we have truly believed. And if you've truly believed in the Lord Jesus, over time and in degree, you're going to persevere in the glories of being fruitful for Christ. Because of the reality of the new life, we bear fruit for God. We persevere in serving His kingdom. Uh, Because the divine intent is renewal, and thank God, restoration. I mean, in effect, in a broad macro scope, God is restoring us and eventually going to return us to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter one. and all the glories of fellowshipping with him. Um, you know, take Yellowstone and Glacier National parks. Take whichever one is your favorite and multiply it times infinity. That's what heaven will be like. Just incredible beauty, majesty. And then day by day, walking with God in eternal fellowship. The second result of of grace releasing us from the laws that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter, verse 6. Second result, we serve in the newness of the Spirit. What was the first result? We were joined to Christ. And the law no longer has jurisdiction over us. Uh, It used to be that sinful passions were working within us, bearing fruit to death. That's changed. Because we have life in Christ, we were released from the law. Uh, Notice, again, verse 6, we have been released from the law. Uh, I would remind you that it's in the passive voice we have been acted upon by the grace of God. So majesty of the gospel, God acts upon us. Delivers us. The result is, the second result, we serve in the newness of the Spirit. Formerly we could not. We were not able. Now God is at work within us. That's what um, Israel lacked. The song of the vineyard, Isaiah chapter 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Work out your salvation, fear and trembling. Because it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's working within us. He's planted the fruit. He's cultivating it. He's watering it. Of course, he uses human agents, but He is the one doing the work within us so that there will be fructification and restoration to the divine ideal. By the way, it's an application. That's why um, the woke church is radically in error. God doesn't countenance alternative lifestyles because he affects renewal and restoration. Now he saves sinners, including people from alternative lifestyles. Thank God. If he didn't, it would have never saved us. We were sinners too. But when he plants, he works the harvest and we serve in the newness of the spirit. Another illustration, Colossians chapter one, verse 29. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. God, God comes and moves in. And uh, he, he begins to clean house. He begins to unlock uh, dark doors and goes in and begins to clean house. Thank God. And there's renewal and restoration. Thank God. A restoration to the divine intent of the creation of man. And the restoration, may it come quickly, the work of God. The theology of the new creation, new creation, God has begun again. The physical creation, Genesis chapter 1. The spiritual creation, beginning John 1. The word comes to affect the spiritual creation. Uh, Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 17. Is a reminder of that creation and the work of God. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We pass through a terrible, ugly, mean land that's absent God and he makes us new. And old things have passed away. All things become new. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul says, we are his workmanship, created, new creation, created in Christ, unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God expects a harvest. And when he moves in and works, there is. The agent's the Spirit. The Spirit of power, working renewal, evidenced in a changed life, and bearing fruit. The letter of the law had no ability to change. Uh, spirit, The Spirit does. Second uh, Corinthians 3.6 Who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He's our ability to serve. Theology of the New Covenant, inaugurated by Christ in the grace of God. Let's turn to a a well-known text, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. Uh, I want to demonstrate the fruitfulness that God works through the prophet Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, and how there is a necessary effect from the divine cause of the grace of God. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. We couldn't do that by the law. We can do it because we're new creatures under a new covenant, and God has taken away the old and made us new and put his spirit within us to enable us. Christ in the spirit affecting renewal and restoration. Turn, turn to uh, John chapter 15. We'll give another illustration of that. Uh, a moment ago I spoke to you about the song of the vineyard. Isaiah chapter 5. The vineyard, God expected good grapes. He got sour grapes, so he simply tears the vineyard down. Eventually uproots it, the Babylonian captivity. Takes it away. It's different with us. John chapter 15, uh, if you will, is another song of the vineyard. I mean, look at verse 1. I'm, I'm the true vine. Christ is the true Israel My Father is the vine dresser. Spirit working within us. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's the point of God in His sovereign grace and power planting the seed of the gospel in our hearts, giving us new hearts, making us a new field, making us into a vineyard, making us, if you will, the new Israel, and we produce beautiful grapes, majestic grapes for the glory of God. And so that we are now the new eschatological Israel, the new vineyard, the new vine, producing fruit for the glory of God. So Paul is saying, pass through the uh, age in which the law ruled over us and worked death, condemned us because it had no ability to change us. And then Christ comes, dispatches his spirit, and the spirit affects change, and the spirit fructifies our lives in renewal, because we are no longer under the dominion of the law, but under grace. Thank God. And the reality of this renewal comes from our union with Christ and the gift of the Spirit. If you will, the divine tandem in the grace of God, affecting renewal and restoration. And the beauty of the change that they work in our lives is the beauty of the grace of our great God.